Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm really glad that you're here today. For a second week in a row, I want to say thank you so much for being here, swimming here, boating here, however you got here. Thank you so much. And I want to know who's praying for rain, because I want to meet you afterwards. I've got a list, all right? So, uh, man, incredible two weeks in a row how much rain we've had on a Sunday. But I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, today, we are continuing in uh, this series we're calling Great Expectations, uh, really based on Charles Dickens' work uh, it's Christmas season. I realize, you know, those of you who are really into this, uh, you know, kind of thing are like, wait a minute, it's not great expectations. It's a Christmas carol. You got it wrong. I get it. It's all good. We were just using it as the name. So, uh, because this time of year, uh, we have a lot of expectations and it seems like, uh, Christmas kind of brings about this idea of us having expectations for our lives, for other people. Um, and, and we kind of, have a focus on expectations more this time of year than any other uh, time of the year. And so we're focusing this Christmas on several different, you know, some of the different expectations that are common, I think, to all of us. And uh, last week we started out with just a general overview of what happens when uh, what we expect and what happens in our lives, the results are different. And how we as people can can really be more aligned with who God is and what he's doing in our lives. And we ended uh, at this place last week with the Apostle Paul saying, I boast in my weaknesses. I want to brag about my weaknesses. And I don't know if you realize, um, when we brag about our weaknesses, what that does is that opens up the door for us to brag about Jesus and the work he does in our lives. And it's uh, kind of interesting. I had um, no idea when um, we were planning this message and uh, together I get with my team and um, they, they help me come up with uh, uh, message titles and that sort of thing, different themes based on what I feel like God's leading. And I had no idea uh, at, when we wrote this uh, particular message and gave it the title, I Want the Win, I had no idea that last night my hometown, Atlanta, Georgia, would receive its first championship in a professional sport in 23 years. And it's, yes, some of you are like, what universe are you living in, Todd? You're like, what is going on? There's this sport called soccer, all right? And there's this thing called the MLS, Major League Soccer. And last night, the Atlanta United won the MLS Cup, and they brought home a trophy, which is really amazing for uh, my city. Because over the past 23 years, some of you are like, here he goes again, lamenting about his Atlanta sports teams. Yep. So over the last two years, my Atlanta Falcons... Uh, lost the Super Bowl after being up 28-3 to at the end of the third quarter, all right? I'm not even going to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. It just is way, thank you, thank you very much. It's just way too painful. And never, not to mention the Braves, out of, I think, 15 pennants over the years, and we have one championship. I mean, that's great, and it's terrible all at the same time. Uh, I really had no idea that we, that we would be here kind of where, where we are today um, with my Atlanta sports teams when I named this uh, message, I Want the Win, but it's appropriate. Um, because I know that today in Atlanta, there's a lot of people that are really excited. There's a lot of new soccer fans in the Atlanta area, I promise you that. Like, people have never watched soccer before. They're going to be watching next year, and so it'll be really amazing. But, you know, I, I think about this for a moment. Think about your life for a second, and think about the things that you expected in your life or do expect in the future 
for you to achieve. Think about for a moment this idea of success. And I want you to consider what the world says about success. Or what you've been told about winning. What it means to have a victory in your life. We kind of are, are groomed. We are brought up. We are taught that success and achievement is of the utmost importance. That's how we're trained in school. That's how many of you, many of us, grew up in our homes with parents who really focused on, on our success, whether it was academics or whether it was in the professional world or, or, or maybe it was in your family. Um, success and achievement is a really big deal in our culture all around the world. Success, the drive for success and the drive for achievement is, is not exclusively an American thing. It's everywhere. It's a human thing to want to succeed. And, and you know, I realize that here we are, we live on Hilton Head Island, and that many of you are here today because you have had a certain level of success and achievement. And maybe in many ways that the world says you have had a huge measure of success in your life. But I promise you that all of us have something in common, and that is that at some point in our lives, in some aspect of our lives, we have felt like we were a failure. That's common among all of us, regardless of, of whether we think that we're successful according to the world's measurements. And I think part of the reason that we can tell, part of the reason that we know, like this idea of the difference between what we expect when it comes to success and what reality tells us, is this little thing called our reaction when things don't go well. We talked a little bit about it last week, but when it comes to success, when it comes to achievement, when it comes to us expecting to have the win in life, I think that sometimes our reactions like really, really determine and really show kind of where we are in our spiritual lives. I, I know this is so true of me, and it's funny because um, the, the people in the world, in our public world, they might every once in a while see our negative reaction when we don't succeed, when we don't get the win. The people who are closest to us, they probably know when we don't get the win. They know it by our attitude. They know it by our countenance. They know it by our outlook. They know it by the words that we speak and the things that we say. But I'll tell you, isn't it true that we know in the depths of our hearts when our reaction to not getting the win is something that's destructive or something that is positive? Listen, I want you to hear today that God is so much more concerned about where you're going than where you've been. He is so much more concerned about where you're going than where you've been in life, in eternity. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus, as, as Stephanie um, just so eloquently put it, and as we just sang about, he is so much more concerned about where you're going than where you've been. But we get stuck on focusing and getting kind of fixated on where we've been in life, don't we? I call it, in my family, um, I call it living life in the rearview mirror. And we so often look 
at life in the rearview mirror. And I think a large reason is, is because the world gives us this standard, this measurement for success that's based on things that are not in alignment and not according to God's word. It doesn't fall within the context of what God says about success. You see, I think that we're told that we fail and that we fall short of winning in many cases because um, largely we base life's wins on who we think we are, which is identity, what we think we're worth, which is our value, and what our purpose in life is, which is really based on our hope. And so the world tells us that there are certain measures for success. And when we place our identity and our value and our hope on what the world says is success or what we make up in our mind is success or what some of our closest friends or our families or our spouse or our kids say is success, then we are setting ourselves up to have our great expectations ruined. And we're setting ourselves up to go down that slippery slope towards discouragement, despondency, and depression because we don't realize that we as Christ followers, even when we lose, we can win. We don't realize that we have the opportunity as Christians, as people who are associated and, and have given our lives to Christ and have made that great exchange and have accepted him as our savior. We don't realize that when we lose according to the world, we can stand strong and say, you know what? I have won, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Christ has done in me. And today I want to give us three ways that we can adjust or that we can say that we're winning even when we lose. Adjust our focus and adjust our, our identity and our value and our hope to say, even when I lose, I win. Winning even when I lose means first and foremost that my identity is found in what Jesus thinks of me. Listen, that's not a trite statement. That's not just a feel-good little thing that is Christianese, you know, some kind of Christian little bumper sticker that we can have and like everybody thinks it's cute. That is really the truth. That is really the truth. That we can know that we win even when we lose when our identity is found in what Jesus thinks of us. That we use his measurement, not the world's. That we use his markers, and not our schools, or not our companies, or our jobs, or our industries. That we use his measurement as a measure of success in our lives. And listen, what this has to do with churches, this has to do everything of our identity found in Christ. John records Jesus's words in John 14, verse 20, when Jesus indicates our position in Christ. You know, we have this position that we have in Christ, and you'll understand why it's position in a minute when you read this, but I think sometimes we as Christians, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you kind of glaze over this. It just has become kind of common. And so you just kind of go, yeah, that's my position in Christ. I'm, I, my identity is in Christ. And we kind of just relegate it to just, yeah, just part of who we are, and we, we move on. We don't really think about it. We don't really dwell on it. We don't really let our hearts and our mind and our soul be put in alignment, as we talked about last week, with who we are in Christ, because we have a position in Christ. And, and Jesus said this, and John records his words in that day in verse 20 of John 14. He says, 
in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. You see, Jesus is setting the stage to talk about who we are once we become Christ followers, once we accept him as our Savior. And he says this, he says, I'm in the Father, but he says that you are in me. And he says, I am now in you. It's, it's kind of um, two sides of the same coin. You see, once we become Christ followers, listen, I, I want you to understand this is one of the, one of the most basic, uh, essential, important aspects of our faith to understand this concept. If you get nothing out of today's message, I hope you understand that um, when you become a Christian, um, you take up a new position. And that new position is, is that you are in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in the second point in a little more detail. But what also happens is, is that he now dwells in you. See, our position is both that we are in Christ and that he is in us. And I know some of you are like, man, you've lost me, completely lost me, Todd. I get that. I understand that. This is, this is who we are in Christ, and this is really, truly where our identity as Christians should come from. And that is the fact that Jesus lives in us. Do you realize, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to realize this, because the church has done a poor job of talking about this over the years. You are actually where the Spirit of God resides. You are his temple, the Bible tells us. You are his dwelling place. You see, when Jesus came and died on the cross, everything in the Old Testament changed, and the, the, the Spirit of God now indwells the Christ follower. He is in you, and you are in him, and we're going to talk about the you being in him in a moment. But that whole concept of, of, of Jesus being in us is so important. And man, that really sets the stage for our identity, that we are the temple of God. Think about that for a moment. Think about the heaviness of that. Think about what that should do in our lives when we realize it and when we act upon it, that our identity is the two sides of the same coin, that Jesus is both in us and that we are in him. I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were, uh, some of you who are, are, you know, like my age, you know, or maybe a little bit younger, a little bit older, um, you remember the first time you had coffee. You remember the first time you ever had coffee. Remember the first time you ever sipped just, you know, that cup of coffee, and it had that bitter taste to it, you know, and then all of a sudden you have another day and another day, and you're 45 years old, and you have a few cups a day. You remember that time that you first tasted it, though? It was really bitter, Right. My kids, I know Sydney, Sydney's in here. She may be embarrassed by this. I'm sorry, Sydney, I didn't ask about this. But she tried coffee a few years ago, and I remember her kind of like, you know, she squunched her mouth, and she's like, that's just gross, you know. And I said, well, as the good dad that I am, I said, well, why don't you try putting a bunch of flavored creamer in it? <laughs> I'm a really good dad, aren't I? <laughs> so she decided that she would put a lot of creamer in the coffee, right? You, you've done that before? Like you have a little coffee with your creamer. That's kind of the way it was um, with Sydney. And so, and I remember doing that as a kid too. My mom, she started it, all right? 
Sydney, it's Grandma Sue's fault. Okay, so anyway, anyway, so like we have this, we have this thing where we want to take that bitterness and we want to pour so much of that flavor and sugar and all that stuff that's terrible for us in the coffee drink, and we mix it up, and all of a sudden there's really no difference between the coffee and the creamer. That's the way it is with our life in Christ. That we are in him and he is in us. But I'll tell you, church, I'll tell you, Christ follower, that probably the number one thing that is the lid in us activating that in our lives is our mind. It's our mind. It's the battle of the mind. And Jesus talks so much about the mind, so much of what goes in here and what stays in here determines what we are going to do with our spiritual lives. The apostle Paul talked about, in fact, I would say that the number one enemy of our identity in Christ is, in fact, the mind. And the apostle Paul talked about this in several different places. Listen to this. He talked about this in Philippians 4, verse 8. He says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. He says, think about these things. Now, that phrase, think about, in the Greek language, in the original language, is one word. And that word is an imperative verb. It, it is an act of, of obedience. It's an instructional act that we are supposed to do in our Christian lives. It's something that's supposed to, we're supposed to execute, and it's really kind of pretty simple the way Paul lays it out here. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, think about those things. And the, the word in the original language there means to reckon it means to reckon or to set our mind or to reset, to put it another way, our mind. Think about the word reckon. The whole idea of a dead reckoning. The whole idea of setting a course based on a fixed point. And Paul is fired by God's Holy Spirit is saying there is a fixed point and that fixed point is Jesus. That fixed point is the things of Jesus. And so my question to you today is, what kind of things do you dwell on? What kind of things do you allow your mind to think about over and over again? Man, that can be a very convicting thing, can't it? That can be a very challenging thing. Is your mind set? Is it reckoned on what's true? Is it reckoned on what's honorable, what's just, what's pure and lovely, commendable, what's excellent? what's worthy of praise. If not, you might have an expectation of your success that's not in alignment with who God is and what he's done. I've been there before, and I understand that. Our mind is the number one enemy to our identity in church. I want to challenge you to take
take up to be serious about what you think about. If you're here today and you've really been struggling with this idea of believing what the world says about you, all the negative things, all the junk, and you've allowed it to come into your mind, listen, 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 and you allow it to to like permeate who you are, you will begin to believe the, the, the lies that the world says. You'll begin to believe the, the lies that even some of your friends or even your spouses tell you or your kids or your family members, those people who love you the most, you will begin to focus on those things and all of a sudden then what you do in your life will, will matter more than who you are in Christ. Paul is giving us the instructions to be ready for the spiritual battle in Ephesians chapter 6, the same man who wrote this. And in verse 17, he says, take up the, what's that next word? Helmet of salvation. Take up the helmet of salvation. Paul here is telling us that, that we've got to put on the helmet of salvation because he understands that our minds need to be protected, that the mind is where the battlefield of identity takes place. And so he says, take up the helmet of salvation so that you understand your identity in Christ. So when I don't get the win, I should remember first and foremost that my identity is found in Jesus. My identity is found in Jesus. But secondly, I need to remember that my value is defined by what Jesus says about me. My value is defined by what Jesus says about me. Sometimes we tie the lack of success, we tie it to what people say about us or what they say to us. Um, one is gossip, the other may or may not be truth. What they say about us may be gossip, but what they say to us may or may not be truth. But we don't have to worry about that because my value is determined or defined by what Jesus says about me. The fact that we are in Jesus has so many different applications. But I think one of the great enemies to this idea of value is guilt. I think one of the great enemies to our worth in life is guilt. Man, the enemy will use guilt over and over and over again to take us down. And listen, here's what I want to tell you, church. When Paul was talking about this whole idea of boasting in his weaknesses, I want to boast in what, who I am in Christ and my, my strength is not in me, it's in, it's in Jesus. Paul understood that he could be taken over by guilt in a minute. As a guy who ordered the murder of perhaps thousands of Christ followers, he could have been, as a new Christian now, he could have been completely overtaken by guilt. By the way, do you realize that the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, he had this great encounter with God, and he sees God and he becomes a Christ follower, and, and then immediately he wants to serve God, and his first attempt at being a servant for God, a servant for Jesus, was a complete failure. He spent, like a lot of experts say, nine years before he ever, ever had any success again. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul that says, I want to boast in my weaknesses. And he could have been taken over by guilt. 
but he writes this, talking about who we are in Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, for our sake, he, Jesus, made him, that's talking about us, uh, or, or God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect, so that in him we might, what's that next word? Become the righteousness of God. You see, when we realize that we are in Christ, guilt is no more. We don't have to deal with guilt anymore. Because of what he did on the cross, because of the perfect life that he led, Paul tells us that we are wrapped, that we are surrounded, that we are taken up in his righteousness. If you are a Christ follower in here today, you're righteous not by or because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Man, I don't know about you, but when I ever feel guilty about the mistakes I've made or the people I've let down or the times that I've just really messed things up, I think about the righteousness of Christ and how I'm robed in it. I'm clothed in it because I am in him. He is in us. And that determines our identity. But we are in him, and that determines our value. Maybe some of you need to go home today, and maybe you need to write in big letters on a a mirror, or maybe you need to put in a big postcard, I am worth, or I am valued, because the world tells us that we have no value. The world may tell us that we are worthless, but Jesus says that we are made righteousness and our value is defined by what Jesus says about us. Our identity is found in what Jesus thinks of us. And then finally today, my hope is found in what Jesus has done for me. Man, he has done so much for us. And when we think about what the world says about success, when we think about what the world says about achievement, and we begin comparing the results that we've had in life, we can go down a very scary road in terms of our past and our future. Unless our hope is truly found in what he has done for us. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, to rise again three days later, so that we could have eternal hope forever. That's the whole reason we're here today. That's the whole reason that you're here today is because your hope is found in what Jesus did. Jesus summed this up, and it's recorded again in John. He summed this up so well. He says this in John 10.10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And what I want you to do today is I want you to insert your name where the they is. He came so that you can have life and have it abundantly. You see, we can have a measure of success on this side of heaven too because of what Christ did for us. When the world tells us we're worthless, when the world tells us that we have no hope, when the world tells us that whatever we have chosen to do, we're not gifted for, but we knew at some point in our time that God gifted us for that thing, And now we're starting to doubt it or we're starting to believe that we're not worthy because of the guilt that we've had or maybe some of the things that people have said about us. We can say to those lies that the 
thief told me that. The evil one told me that. And he has, his intent is to kill and destroy. But Jesus is for me. And his purpose, his intent for me is life and life abundantly. My guess is is that you know what the world says about you. My guess is I don't have to tell you what the world says about you. My guess is is that I don't have to tell you what your friends at school say about you students or what your parents may say when you didn't do what they told you to do or you failed that test or maybe you came a little bit short on that grade or that GPA. I don't have to tell you, businessman or businesswoman, that what the world tells you and what your boss tells you and what your company tells you and what your industry tells you, I don't have to tell you that. But what I want to tell you is is that the world may say all of those things. They may say, the world may say that I didn't get the win, but because of Jesus, we got to realize we cannot lose. We can't lose it because of what Jesus did for us. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But he wants you to have life and have it abundantly. I've alluded to over the years, and I've even spoken a little bit about over the years, um, a little bit of the depression that I went through. And uh, it started in probably about 2013, 14, something like that. And uh, boy, it was, it was a dark road. It was a very, very dark road. And, and I want to tell you today that part of the reason that it was so dark for me was because I began to believe what I heard. And what I heard wasn't the truth. What I felt was not the truth. And today you may be here, and you may hear all these things that you think define you. And it could lead you down this dark path. It could lead you to a place that you think, I am completely unsuccessful. I have no discernible achievements in my life that matter. And I want you to hear today that those things that you are hearing and those things that you're feeling are lies from the evil one. Because if you're here today and you're in Christ, you're made new. You have abundance as your future. You have eternity as your future. You can't lose. Unlike all of my Atlanta teams over the year until last night, you can't lose because of Jesus. Listen, I'm a perfect example, church, of someone who falls short. I am, this is going to surprise some of you, I'm going to disappoint you. As a pastor, there will be times that I'm going to miss the mark. Some of you are like, yeah, it's already happened. Pretty sure. There are going to be times that as a husband, I'm going to miss the mark. Right, Cynthia? She knows that well. Just saying, for sidebar, she does not miss the mark as a wife, okay? I'm just saying that. Because this is the service that she's standing in back there. Just kidding. She doesn't miss the mark. As a dad, I've missed the mark hundreds of times. As a friend, I've missed the mark. But you know what I am? I'm righteous in Christ. I have a hope and I have a future because my identity is in him and he is the reason 
that I can have success even when I feel like a failure. I hope you believe that this morning. I hope you allow that to settle into your mind and are able to dwell on the great future that you have, regardless of whether you are meeting your expectations right now. Father God, I thank you so much for these words of truth. God, I thank you that we can have our identity found in you and our value defined by you and our hope in what you have done. And God, I want to pray right now for those who are gathered in this place who would be bold enough and willing enough to right now admit to you that they're struggling in terms of achievement, in terms of expectations that they feel like the world places on them. They're struggling right now to just kind of keep up with what they sense and what they think is going on in their schools and in their jobs and in their marriages and in their homes. Father God, I pray right now that you would be with people who have gathered in this place, those who are listening to our web stream, who may right now be struggling with identity and with worth and with value because they've really believed the lie that the world has told them. If you're in this place right here, you're in this room and and you're just willing to say, you know, I have really struggled with these things that you're talking about today and I have really fallen short and it is beginning to lead me down this path. If you're just willing to do that today, just admit it. I I just ask you to, in this quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, just, just raise your hand for a moment. Just raise your hand. Say, hey, I'm, Todd, I'm struggling with this. Um, I'm not even going to look up because I, I, want, I want this be t- to be between you and the Lord. Um, just raise your hand and say, you know, God, I, I'm really struggling with this whole thing of my identity. I feel like I fall short often. Would you just raise your hand for a moment? Keep it up for a moment. And God, I pray for these who are here today who have their hands raised, God, mine included. God, there are so many times that we deal with feeling less than. We feel like we are unworthy. We feel like we have no hope. God, in our reality, in our expectation, when it comes to achievement or success or getting the win, there's a huge gap there. Father God, I pray that you would help each one of us who have our hands raised this morning to find our identity in you and to find our worth and our value and our hope in you, Father God. In the strong name of Jesus, help us today to focus on those things that we need to focus on that will help us in this area. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray for each one of us. And God, we just thank you so much this time of year for sending a child. Talk about missing expectations, what the world thought that you would do. You did it so differently. God, I am so thankful that you did it in a different way. God, we thank you so much for what you did for us. And I pray that we would realize all we are because of you. And that we would live in that. That we would dwell on those things. And God, that it would just flow out of us in our words and our actions and our attitudes. God, help us to put our mind and set our mind to, to reckon our mind on who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.